Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, a socially conscious talk show with a Latinx vibe. We are amigos talking politics, food, music, and life. Welcome! On this episode, I am joined by Julissa Arce, who is the Washington Post bestselling author of My Underground American Dream as guest co-host. Together, we interview Lucy Flores, who's the daughter of immigrants who overcame many challenges, including juvenile parole, to become the first Latina elected to the Nevada State Legislature in 2010. She is now Vice President of Public Affairs at Me Too, a digital media company that I know many of you love and support. We're really excited to talk to both Julissa and Lucy about the many ways that they are using their platforms to elevate other Latinas and Latinos. Enjoy! Julissa, welcome back to Tamarindo. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me again. I'm yes. so excited. We're super excited to have you. Oh, I have to do my matraca. Woo! <laughs> so, Julissa, we've been talking for a long time about having you back on the show, having you guest host, and something we talked about is something called No Post Wow. Yeah. Can you l- let the listeners know what is No Post Wow and why do you use that hashtag in certain moments? Yeah. Well, so like no post wow, it's like I really can't believe this is happening. That's like really what it means. No po- no post wow. Like I can't <laughs> believe this can I say shit? Yeah, you can say shit. <laughs> I can't believe this shit is really happening. Um there's and been a so, lot of those. <laughs> there's been so much of that. So I started using this hashtag no post wow. I mean I didn't invent no post wow, right? right That's right, like right. not my invention. Uh, but I have started using it a lot because there's been so many moments recently where I just can't believe certain things are being said. I can't believe certain things are happening. And so that's that's a really succinct way to say, I can't believe this is happening. Oh, no, pues wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we are just closing out Hispanic Heritage Month. And I think I noticed a few no pues wow moments as I was watching you and others Taking hold of, of, of Hispanic Heritage Month is a great opportunity to highlight our community, our culture, and the many facets and ways that we represent who we are in this country. And you did something really cool. It's called uh, 30 Days of Latinx. So tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to let folks know a little bit of some nopos wow moments that came out of that. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with – so the reason I wanted to do this 30 Days of Latinx is because I noticed when I was in school even that – history about American Latinos wasn't being told. Like, I never knew where were Latinos during the civil rights movement. Like, I knew we were there, like, we existed, but I didn't know what our involvement beyond Cesar Chavez, for example. Right. It was maybe, like, a one sentence in a history book. Right. If, If even that, right? Or, like, I just didn't... There was so much history about Latinos in America that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. right? And so I wanted to do this project for a long time to tell the history of Latinos in America. All right. And so when we were coming up with with what to name this, we wanted it to be really inclusive, right? So I didn't want to call it American Latinos. I didn't want to call it Latinos because, you know, we want to be inclusive. So right, we right. used we chose the, the, the hashtag 30 days of Latinx. Right. We went with Latinx, a very inclusive term. Right. It's one big change from Hispanic heritage. Right. Exactly. Right. And people, so many people have uh, issues with like Hispanic versus Latino. And, and so we wanted to be the most inclusive that we could be. Um, but the genesis, the real genesis for this project was how do we tell more of our history in this country, history that most of us 
don't know. In an, in an accessible and a fun way. Right. Exactly. We didn't want to make it boring, you know, like you feel like you're in, in high school history class again. Mm-hmm. Right? We wanted to make it fun. And, and so I partnered with, uh, with Salvador Santana and um, this amazing producer, Daniel Dart. And we co-created this 30 Days of, of Latinx, Very right? Cool. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't this like big funded project. Like, you know, we all kind of pitched in what we could to record the videos and and to make it happen and I was really excited and really proud of of the 30 days of recordings that we did and it was never meant to be the the be all the solution of, the, of now everyone's enlightened in America yeah well beyond that like it wasn't like there's no way that in 30 short videos we could tell the entire history of Latinos in America the point was to have people be curious about their own history and want to learn more mm-hmm. about Latino, Latina history in America. Right. Because let's face it, everyone can Google. All this information is right. out there. You are like maybe igniting and, and sparking right. some interest. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So that's what we wanted. To, that's that's what uh, what I had hoped would, would um, you know, I think some people would learn some things about history that they, ha- they had no idea about and that it would inspire other people to use the hashtag to share Things that they were learning. Right, right. right? Like, I mean, I, I don't know all of the history of Latinos, uh, of, of Latinx. Like, I don't, right? So, um, and then some people did. Some people started using the hashtag and started sharing things that we were missing. Um, and we're very constructive about it. And we're saying, you know, hey, by the way, you, ha- you guys haven't talked about this. Um, but what was interesting to me is that on day two, people were like, you're not being diverse. You're not being inclusive. I'm like, it's day two. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and where, where, where was this mostly coming from? You like, who were the most vocal voices, or like, where was this coming from? Yeah. So okay. So I'll start off with like the really positive feedback that we got. Um, we we received so much positive feedback from people saying like, thank you so much. Like I had no idea. Um, one of my favorite, to me, one of the favorite pieces of history that I discovered was. In Crystal City, Texas, in the 60s, um, there was a cap on the number of cheerleaders that could be of Mexican-American descent. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Like, only one, only one cheerleader on the squad could be Mexican-American. Whoa. So, like, we literally what? had to— Only one? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't want any chiquiti-booms on there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, we, like, literally had to fight for a right to bear pom-poms. Okay? A right to like, bear pom-poms. That's how— terrible things were and it and it just kept getting worse like as soon as the um the district became majority mexican-american they changed the rules so that in order to be on the cheerleading squad you had to have at least one parent that graduated from high school oh my okay. god are you kidding me yeah exactly so, yeah so these so moments like, are so important right to make and you it, think wow right, right they make you think like that was not that long ago and and so much of the civil rights conversation tends to focus on the African-American struggle. And it's like incredibly important that that people know that struggle and, and the fight that went on there. And for me, I wanted to just discover like, what were we doing? Yeah. Clearly we've been here. So right. And clearly we were, were getting discriminated against. Somehow not being t- talked about. Right. It's not in the history books, really, right? So, um, so anyway, so like the students in Crystal City, Texas, they organized, they led walkouts, and eventually the school board had to change the rules. That's and, great. and to me, that was like amazing, right? So, so um, I shared something we could be proud of, right? Exactly, and so and and something that also can teach us that 
no matter where you are, whether you're a high school student uh, or a professional, you can make a difference, right? Like your voice can can have an impact in changing how things work. Cool. That, that This is all things that I got from that one um, story and piece of history. Mm-hmm. So that one was some, something that people really give us really great feedback about that a lot of people didn't know that happened. That's very cool. So you accomplished educating and enlightening people on right. this, in just in this one example. Right, right. So that, so that was like the good part. Um, the not so positive feedback. The no plus wow. Uh, the no plus wow. <laughs> um, you know, I, it, it came from uh, just like a lot of different places, mostly on Twitter. I will say I think Instagram is, is – uh, like the social media channel where you, I get less bullied. Right. That's true. Like there's certain places, and I do think that Twitter is a is is the space that is more inviting to some of that negative. Yeah. People get really brave with those characters, those yeah. limited characters. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, damn, how can you be so mean with with 140 characters? <laughs> Takes um, <some> skill. <laughs> seriously, it does. Um, but so some of, some of the I think some of the criticism some, some of the criticism was valid. Right. And I and I appreciated people highlighting certain things Um, like, for example, that we didn't have we didn't have enough um, Afro Latino history. Okay, like I I think that we could have done a better job about having more of the 30 days being dedicated to uh, Afro Latino history and something to build on for next year. Exactly. Um, People said that it was really focused on uh, like Mexican-American history. And uh, and I do agree with that. I think part of the issue was that we weren't clear about we're trying to tell the history of, of Latinos and Latinas in the U.S., not Latin American history. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and now the Latino group is a very pan-Latino, like, pan, like several different countries represented, and we have – we have definitely changed as a group. But if you're really looking to point back to our history and the struggle, a big chunk of the leaders in that, just by virtue of who was the here, is going to be Mexican-American. Right. Like, that's just a, a part of the of the history. Right. But having said that, we could have uh, dug a little deeper and found more uh, Afro-Latino history in America. Right. right. So I took all of that feedback very you – know, I was I was listening to it. Uh, taking notes for next year, um, but some of the things that were really hurtful, you know, I, I'm I'm really I'm used to getting a lot of hate on on social media um, from sort of right wing uh, anti immigrant racist people that think I shouldn't be here, you know that that. Um, because I was once undocumented, say I'll always be a criminal. You know, so I'm used to that, and I ignore it. And that's part of the territory and that, yeah. of being an activist exactly. in this community. Yep. So I, I get it, and I ignore it, and it doesn't affect me, and I don't take it personally ever. But when I started getting really negative hate, really, um, on this 30 Days of Latinx project, I did take it very personal. When it's and, coming from your community. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's coming from my community and it's coming from people that I want to uplift. Right. I, I have dedicated my whole career now and my whole life the past few years to advocating and elevating our community. And so to have people say things like, we don't claim her, 
Oh well, yeah, that's was terrible. really hurtful, and I did take it personal. Yeah, and, See, and, I think and it hurt my sure. feelings. And no post wow, because I, yeah. I think people should should really back up and realize that yes, I think that you're a really great role model because you made the conscious choice to dedicate your career, that, uh, shift it from an extremely promising career in finance into you know what I'm going to be mission driven and dedicate my career and my time and my extra time all to lift up our community. So I, I as an observer of the tweets, <laughs> I personally felt really insulted for you because and it, it felt like a no post. Wow, like you guys have too much time because why don't you why don't we come together and defeat bigger problems? <laughs> instead of yeah, this? I mean, one of, one of the really big no post wow moments for me was our very first video um, was was intended to def- to defend our right to speak Spanish. Ah, uh, yes. So this many, is the one that sparked uh, yeah, a lot of and it was the first one, right? So that kind of set the tone for things. Oh no. Um, <laughs> um, the, the the intention behind that video was to say there are so many times when you know we see videos on the internet that are, that go viral because like a racist person is telling uh, speak American, yeah, like speak America. <laughs> this is America. We speak English, right? Like we hear that and we get enraged by that, rightly so. And we get behind the, the the people who've been told that, and we say like, you can speak whatever language you want to speak, right? right. So we wanted to like give a little bit of context to say that. Spanish was spoken in what is now the United States before English was spoken here. Right. And that was it. It wasn't, that's what it was. But for me, the really big no post wow moment was like, people were saying like, oh, you're, you're erasing indigenous history because there were indigenous languages that were spoken here. Um, or they were saying, what are we playing like, uh, uh, colonial racist, like who colonized oh, mm-hmm. this land first. Yeah. Right. And for me, I was like, what? Like, no, like I'm not trying to erase indigenous history. Like, of course, there were indigenous people here. And the point is, when a racist person tells you to speak English, you can say, you know, I want, I'm going to speak Spanish this because is what I grew up in this, right? Is and, that and I know. And what's funny to me is like looking back at uh, some of the some of the Twitter feed from the same people that were sending me those kinds of messages and them sort of saying that, you know, you're not Latino enough unless you speak Spanish. So then I'm like, okay, so on one up, hand... Make, make up your mind. <laughs> yeah, like that to me was like, no, pues wow. Like, what? Like, on one hand, you're saying, you know, Spanish is a product of colonialism, which it is, but that is the language that a lot of Latinos speak. Um, and you're complaining about that. And at the same time, you're complaining that Latinos don't speak Spanish. Yeah, so like, oh, What? So yeah, um, as well. <laughs> There's so many of those. Well, I know we could probably talk all day about a, th- a lot of those moments. But I, as I as we kind of wrap up this Kipasa segment, I just want folks to know I'm really happy for the work that you do, and I think it's inspiring. And I think a lot of us and those that are listening, like let's do more to lift each other up and not tear each other down. There's too many people already doing that for us. So take a break. Go. F- yeah. Join us and let's criticize who's really hurting us. And yeah. yeah. So, no post wow. <laughs> those those <And> are clear. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one last thing I'll just say is that um, I did really appreciate the people that sent me uh, like DMs uh, who said, you know, hey, by the way, for next year, you might want to do this or you might want to think about this or like I would be happy to help you come up with 10 That's segments for That's next year. Great way to. You know, awesome like there is a difference between 
being constructive and tearing down. Right, right. And right. for people that want to tear down, like, you know, you hurt my feelings a little bit. I cried a little bit, but I'm over it. And I'm focusing on the people who want to be constructive and who want to help uplift and who want to help tell our history more and better for next year and really throughout, throughout the year. Yeah, perfect. Great. I love it. Okay, well, let's uh, transition to our awesome guest. We're going to have Lucy Flores. We'll get, let, let you know all about her shortly, but uh, let's transition to, to that. Lucy's next. Flores is here. We got to do our little matraca sound. Yay! Thank you so much, Lucy, for coming to Tamarindo. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited that you're here. So we want to introduce folks to who you are. So tell us a little bit about what you do and why. So currently what I do is I'm the Vice President of Public Affairs for Me Too, which is a digital media company that produces mainstream media from a Latino point of view. We love that. Um, <laughs> prior to that, I was a member of the Nevada legislature. I the first was Latina, the first right? first Latina That's ever elected to the state legislature in the history we of need Nevada. Um, I spent about a decade in politics and lost my last election and um, had to figure out what I was going to do and I was forced to grow up. Uh, and that's how I ultimately ended up at Mitu. But um, yeah, that's a, a little bit of my background. Yeah, a little bit about you. And we've read your bio and we've introduced a little bit about you to, to our listeners. But I think what I'm most struck by is just the many barriers that you've overcome so you, one of the things that I learned was that you you actually dropped out of high school, mm-hmm. but you ended up being the first Latina in the Nevada state legislature. How did you make that leap? Yeah, the trajectory, I mean, I always tell people over the years, I've always described myself as an accidental politician because I obviously never anticipated ending up in the Nevada legislature or in politics or really doing anything that I'm currently doing. Um, but it was really just a series of... Um, um, accidental fortunes for me. I um, actually left Los Angeles. I was born here, um, and my dad took us to Vegas when I was about two years old after my brothers were both murdered around the same time because of drug and gang violence here in East L.A. Um, and so my dad just kind of took all of us who were um, – 18 or younger, some older, uh, took us to Vegas and try to just start over. Um, there was a lot of kids. There's a total of uh, 13. There's 11 of us now. Um, not all of them, of course, went to Vegas, but we were a big family and an immigrant family. Um, and so we uh, struggled, you know, like a lot of um, immigrant families still do to this day. And I really didn't have a whole lot of issues until my mother left my family when I was nine. And that, of course, was very difficult, not only for me, but for my entire family. And my dad was literally working day and night. And there just really wasn't any structure or support in the home. And even though I was in gifted and talented education – 
I got caught up in the school to prison pipeline. I started ditching school and, you know, doing minor things like shoplifting. Um, instead of getting intervention and getting support and figuring out why all of a sudden this gifted and talented education student was, was all of a sudden performing so poorly, I got arrested and was put right into the criminal justice system. And, um, you know, experienced being strip searched and fingerprinted and mugshotted and thrown in a cinder block cell at 12. Um, and, you know, it just kind of escalates from there. And so I started getting involved in gangs, et cetera. And there was just never any support. Um, so fast forward, I ended up on juvenile parole by the time I was 15, ended up dropping out at 17. Um, and it wasn't because my dad was a bad parent. It was just because of my circumstances and the fact that I wasn't getting any support. Um, but I finally did in the form of a parole officer. And, um, I remember that when I was released from the, um, prison, the juvenile prison that I was sent to, after a year, I was literally released under the same conditions. No, again, no support, no anything, and yet you're expected to do better. Well, I didn't. I was rearrested several times, and um, the last time that I thought that my my life was destined for something else, that I was going to end up in the correctional system, I was going to end up in prison or a welfare mom or whatever, just like everybody else that I knew, um, I was sitting in the courtroom, and I was in my orange jumpsuit and shackled from head to toe and um, kind of just accepting what my life was going to be and uh, that I was going to have my parole revoked and that I was going to go back. And when the judge asked my parole officer uh, what her recommendation was, she actually said, Your Honor, I recommend that Lucy be released to the custody of her father. And that was just, you know, a moment that really stays with me forever, um, because that was the first time in all of those years that I, I felt that someone was treating me like a kid with problems instead of just a bad kid. I was not uh, being treated like just another number. She recognized that it wasn't that I was a bad person. It was that I was just experiencing a lot of problems. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, that, so of course it didn't happen overnight. This is not a telenovela, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a lifetime movie. Um, I still struggled. I still dropped out of high school. I still, um, you know, ultimately got on a better path, but at that time still didn't have any role models or anyone to look up to and certainly no support at school again. Um, but then fast forward, more mentors and role models came into my life. And at 21, I got my GED. I uh, went to community college. I transferred to USC after a year um, with the intent of being a lawyer um, because I figured, well, I, I had had enough um, experience with the law that I might be good at it. Um, and then, you know, ended up working on wrongful convictions, um, ended up really getting involved in my community because of all of the various programming and stuff going on at USC and ended up uh, in politics. I ended up in the Nevada legislature as an intern. I passed three pieces of wrongful reform legislation as an intern. Wow, as an intern. And I, yeah, and I said to myself, well, if I could do this as an as an intern, as, as an extern is actually the correct term. Uh, what can I do as a legislator? And frankly, I got to the legislature as this really scared and intimidated young woman. And it didn't take me long to realize that if 
most of the people in that legislature could be there, I could too. Right. Um, because let me tell you, not everybody there should be there. Uh, yes. So Our that's how I ended up in politics. I decided to run for office in my last year of law school. So I, grad- I went to law school full-time, graduated, was elected, and sat for my bar during my first legislative session. Oh, my so did God. That all what in one year. Amazing. Well, um, yeah. we, for the first time we met was during Latino Legacy Weekend. Oh, yeah. I remember you that. Were, you were a, a, a candidate then. You were just going to be running for, for, for the office. For, yes. And I, at that time, I didn't know ev- everything that you just shared now, right, about your, your background and, and having gone to, to jail and, and being handcuffed. And so I think sometimes we're so easy to judge someone. Right. right. Like we look at them and you look a certain way and therefore we don't think of your past. And when somebody looked at you in a jumpsuit, they thought of you a certain way. Right. So what, like you talked about like your mentors and, and how that, that really kind of shifted and changed your life. What were some of those pieces of advice that your mentors, what, what, what was something that clicked that it you were like, I can do better? It wasn't can even advice. It, it really, it wasn't. It, in fact, the advice that I got over the years, you know, there were counselors on occasion. I do remember one counselor, one time, the entire time that I was having all of these problems in school, one time. This counselor, and, and this does stick with me because it was more than just advice. It was him expressing that I was capable of something bigger. Um, and he took me into his office, and he, I guess he was just reviewing files. And I was, I was in the bad kid school. Um, I was, you know, since junior high, was always, you know, sent to the, the alternative mm-hmm. education is what they call it. You know, but really it's just segregating all of the bad kids who they've labeled as bad kids um, because that's going to help somehow. Um, but so I'm here and this, this counselor, he pulls me into his office and he says, you have a gifted and talented designation in your file and I don't understand why you're here. And, and I just, you know, remember that always because that was the first time really that someone had looked past that exterior and the label. Um, but it was the first time that that had happened and that he kind of expressed to me and didn't even really give me advice but more so the idea that I was capable of more. And so when these mentors and role models afterwards, um, after I dropped out of high school, I actually ironically ended up working at a women's prison. Mm -hmm. And that was another one of those aha moments because I lied. And I said that I had graduated from high school, even though I hadn't. And they didn't ask for a diploma or anything. They didn't ask for proof. So I got hired. And and all of these women just kind of started mentoring me. And they would tell me, they would, you know, read an email or something that I had written. And they would say, Lucy, you are really smart. You, you, you speak well. You, are, you, you, you just know so much. You can do something better than this. You can do something else. Go to school. You know, have you thought about going to college? You know, and and that happened repeatedly. You know, all these older women who would say, "You're just you're capable of more." And after a while, that didn't that didn't stick immediately. But after years and years and years and years, and it did take. You know, like I was about eighteen, and I decided to go back. I got my GED at twenty one, and and ended up in community college about twenty one, twenty two. So it took several years of lots of different people just kind of saying, you know what, we think you can do more. Why don't you do more? 
and you can do more. And then after a while, I just believed them. But the one moment that that stuck with me at the prison was I went to, we used to go behind, we call it behind the walls, um, and have lunch in the commissary with the rest of the inmates. And everybody did. It was no big deal. So one day I'm walking back to the front office and I hear someone call my name and I'm thinking, you know, it's just a coworker, whoever. So I turn around and it's this girl and it was a girl that I had hung out with. You know, she was you know, in the gang with me. You know, we were, we were just always together. And of course, you know, I hadn't seen her for a couple of years and I literally turned around and I recognized her and I didn't know what to say. It was like one of those ghosts of Christmas wow. future, yeah. you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, when you haven't seen someone that, you know, used to hang out with a lot, of course, what's the first reaction is you're like, oh my gosh, how have you been? How are you doing? You know, but I stopped myself because I was like, oh, how are you? Right. It's clearly not well, right? right. You're in prison. You're in jail. So like, I just kind of didn't know what to say. I'm like, oh, hi, you know? And she's like, hi, what are you doing here? I'm like, I work here. And she's like, I live here. And I'm like, okay, this is awkward. A moment. Yeah. But, you know, for me, I it was like just such a, a realization. I mean, obviously the very first thing that I thought was, holy cow, that could have been me, Yeah. right? Like, that could have been me. And so that that experience also helped me to realize, you know, kind of underscore, if you will, some of the things that people were telling me um, that perhaps I was capable and destined for something different. Yeah, you sure are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at you. Uh, at, a, at a broader level, because there are, there are so many kids that get caught up in this process uh, prison pipeline, right? And a lot of kids aren't told that they can do better, whether it's by their parents or their teachers. In fact, they're ostracized and Mm -hmm. told they can't do anything more than what they're doing. Right. right? Um, And and so, so many people do. And like you said, this is probably a terrible example, but one of the things that stuck out to me in watching like Orange is the New Black was when, uh, God, what's her name? She gets like released from she I don't gets watch released. That show. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not giving anything away, but some one of the one of the inmates gets released, mm-hmm. but she ends up right back in jail because there because she gets released to the exact same right. circumstances. Right, right. there's support. no support. Right. She can't get a job because nobody would hire her. Right. Um, she doesn't have a place to live, so so she ends up back right in prison. Right, and and that's actually where she feels even more comfortable. That's where she knows how to operate. Right. So at a broader level, like what are some of the things that that whether it's government or nonprofits, what can we do so that we can have more Lucy's? At the end of the day, it is about investment. I mean, there has to be an investment in our community as far as human resources, programming, um, things to do. I mean, look, you know, these these young people – I mean, and there's so much policy change that needs to be done too, right? Like there's just – there's all of these things that – it's this huge. It is a system, right? We call it the school to prison pipeline because it is systemically a problem that begins to occur um, because of biased and and racist policies, school policies, educational policies. Um, whether it's the times, the disproportionate times that black and brown kids get um, suspended and RPC'd mm-hmm. and sent for um, sent for um, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking Discipline, for? Discipline, right? Discipline, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, sent for discipline in a much higher rate than their white peers, right? right? There's just like all of these problems. Mm-hmm. But at the most fundamental basis of what we can do is ensuring that we get to person to person as many young people as we possibly can, right? And a lot of what I'm focused on now at MeToo and what we do at MeToo is really changing this um, perception of what Latinos and what people of color are in this country, right? right? right, right. Um, Because the other thing that I remember when I was growing up was that I had this notion of what college was, right? When I was thinking about school, finally, when I got to that point and thinking about school, I had literally no idea how to go about it. I was so concerned that they were not going to let me into community college because I thought it was like what you see on TV, you know, where you apply and, you know, you get accepted. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get accepted at the community college. <laughs> college yeah. And I was like, ah. And then I was like, wait, anybody can go? And I was like, <laughs> okay. I probably didn't even, how does like this your, work? Your perception of <laughs> Right, exactly. College. And then when I figured that out, my the perception about a university University was literally frat houses mm-hmm. because that's all I saw on TV, right? right? Like TV every so yes, every single uh, every single idea that I had developed around what school was was based on like this partying culture that I had seen in movies, right. you know, basically because mm-hmm. I'd never really seen anything. And of course, like you know, in our school district, nobody ever took me to college. Right? right? They're not going to take me to college. So it was. So I mean. I think it's so also important that all of us, you know, those of us who are in the media um, are more intentional about about showing us in different ways because some of these young people will never, ever get that one-on-one interaction, right? right? Because that investment is not there by their community, by nonprofits, by their government, by their school districts, et cetera. They're being failed at every level. But maybe, just maybe – they can turn on that TV or they can turn on their their Facebook or their Twitter or their Snap and and see a story about me or see a story about Julissa or see a story or hear the Tamarindo podcast, right? right? <laughs> and and be like, holy cow, there's other people who have struggled too. That's right. Really and maybe exciting. I can maybe I can do it too. Right. And I think that that is um is the uh, more more of a backup, but it's um, a comprehensive approach that we need to be thinking about because at the end of the day, we do know that we just need to try to reach these young people in every possible way that we can. Yeah. And that's what's so great about me, too. I, it's a, it must be such a wonderful place to work at this moment in time. And um, we obviously, when you were in the, in the legislature, you were able, to, even as an intern, able to make some policy change. Uh, what ways are you continuing to be influential, even outside of government? How does, how does Me Too and what you do help push some of the issues that are important to you forward? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, Jalissa made a comment prior to us uh, starting to record about transitioning from politics to, I guess, private life, civilian life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I don't feel as if I've transitioned. I am just involved in policy and politics as Lucy Flores now, as I was as Lucy Flores, the elected official. I think that um, titles are great, but purpose is better. 
Oh, I love that. That love is that. not, I didn't make that up. That <laughs> is my very dear friend, Senator Nina Turner. Um, cool. That's a saying that she coined a while ago. And I love it because that's the essence of what advocacy is about, right? And I can be an advocate as an elected official in Nevada. I can be an advocate as vice president of public affairs at Mitu. I can be an advocate as Lucy Flores. And to me, that's what politics is about. Politics isn't about, um, you know, being duly elected or appointed or whatever the case may be. Politics is people. And so to me, I haven't really transitioned at all. I have just um, used my platforms in different ways and and leveraged them in different ways. And I'm very, very, very fortunate to be at a company that really values um, social impact and community engagement and empowering and uplifting a generation of Latinos and people of color in this country. And and so I'm very privileged um, even now to be able to essentially do very much the same kind of work that I did. I mean, I'm not directly um, proposing laws, but I'm certainly still impacting them. Definitely. Um, and still doing as much as I can to, you know, uplift and invest in, and change the narrative for our community. Well, I mean, everything you just said to me sounds like this is exactly the kind of elected official. We yes, should. I want it back. <laughs> you, know, you want someone who, even after they've left office, continues to advocate and believe the things they said they believe. Right? You want someone who, when they're a candidate and they're making these promises, that they actually follow through when they're in office. But then after they leave, I think that's so telling. It's after you leave office, what do you do? Yeah. And if you are continuing to do and advocate for the same uh, policies and, and for the same people, that tells me like you are doing it for the right thing for the right reasons, right? So, is Lucy Flores ever going to come back to be um, <laughs> going to run for office again? Well, uh, I have not closed the door to public service. Um, I am not going back to Nevada. So, I, sorry, I was, Nevada. I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, I was just in Nevada for a meeting of the Unity Commission. I'm a, an appointee to the Unity Commission of the DNC, and there was a lot of my colleagues and people, and they're like, are you coming back? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I live by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> the beach. ocean is beat. across the street. No, 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 I'm not coming back. Uh, no, I, I love my community dearly. Nevada, you know, will always have a piece of my heart. California always, in many ways, did too though you know like when I USC being here for those years it was so transformative for me I I just really felt like um you know so much of my personal development and the transformation from being you know this former formerly convicted former offender literally had just gotten off of parole a couple of years prior to being, you know, this graduate on their way to law school, all of that happened here in LA. And, you know, there was just such an incredible community. And I learned so much here. So in many ways, my heart was always split between the two places. But, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's it's not about where you are, it's about what you're doing. And, uh, and so I, I definitely think that someday, not probably not anytime soon. Um, but who knows? Um, I'm always someone who I'm, I'm very much guided by what feels right and what motivates me and what uplifts me. And if 
there was to be this amazing opportunity that put me in a place that says I can do something bigger for people, then I would consider it. But um, but yeah, I've definitely not closed the door. And uh, if I did run, it would very likely be here in California. Um, and so who knows? But uh, either way, whether I'm in office or not, you know, my my mission and my goals remain the same. It's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, if you were to come back, um, wh- one thing that we've been, it's very timely uh, right now, is um, spaces where women feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And even as progressive as California is, and right. it's exciting that you're, Absolutely. you're considering California, yay, <laughs> lucky for us, it, it continues to still be um, a challenge, or it's not an inviting place for women as much as we would hope. Mm-hmm. You know, the, where we don't have actual full representation right. in the California state legislature. Right. And um, there's been a lot of recent talk about sexual harassment and other things in that space. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what are your thoughts on what can make government more inviting for, for women and, and other other women, people to follow in your footsteps and, and choose that path for themselves? Having more women elected. Yes, yes. <laughs> that literally is it. You know, we the thing is, is that when there's one of you in a room full of men, um, doesn't matter the ethnicity because I've experienced as much sexism and um, sexual harassment at the hands of Latino men as I have uh, for white men, right? Uh, in many ways, maybe even more. And so when you're just the one or the two people, just as when you're a person of color in a room full of white people, you feel disadvantaged. You feel that power inequity. You feel that imbalance. And it makes it much harder for you to stand up for yourself. And it makes it much harder for you to figure out how you're going to get ahead in that room, right? Because when you're calling people out, let's be real, there's repercussions for that, which I am more than personally aware of um, because I have experienced it myself. There is one thing that people know about me, and that's that I don't care who you are. If you're not doing the right thing and talking to you personally and trying to work within the family, as they say, doesn't work, then I'm going to go outside that family and I'm going to say wrong is wrong. And that unfortunately has not made me the most popular person at times and certainly has not um, gotten me all of the friends in the world. But I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to advocate for people. And I'm here to to make things better for people and to try to pave the way in whatever little way that I can, because that's what was done for me. It wasn't easy for Cesar Chavez. It wasn't easy for Martin Luther King. It wasn't easy for Dolores Huerta to do what they did, right? And yet they did. So... I, I just care less about making friends and more about making progress. So when it comes to being, uh, when it comes to creating a environment that is welcoming for women and that um, that uplifts women and that values them in the way that they should be, literally the only way that we can do that is by making sure that there's more women in the room, more Latinas in the room. We have to get more women elected. We have to get more operatives. We have to get them trained. We have to get more, more of them in volunteers. We have to get them in leadership positions. And none of that happens uh, on our own. We have to do it together because that's the only way. And we have to stand by one another um, when women speak out. You know, there was a situation last year where I spoke out against, um, and I didn't do it first. It was, um, she was a former um, Bernie 
political operative, and um, she spoke out against this congressional candidate about um, sexism and sexual harassment that he helped cover up and some other things. Um, And then I realized that I had also experienced sexism at the hands of this person, and I said to myself, well, this isn't this isn't going to be the most popular thing, but that's okay because I've done this before. It's still incredibly scary because there's progressive organizations that were backing this person, and we tried the inside the family way, and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so, at some point, you have to say enough is enough. And I said, you know what? Everything that this woman is saying is true because I experienced it too, yeah. right? And so, and and so doing that. Then it ended up just like what's happening in Hollywood now with Weinstein is, you know, an outpouring of other women and men who said, oh, my gosh, me too. Mm-hmm. Right. And and yet within the progressive community, there was people who tried to diminish it, people who called you a liar, people who said, oh, no, that can't possibly be right, et cetera, and who question and 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 make progress that much harder because people are still covering up for each other and they're still, um, you know, they're not, they're not willing to, uh, I guess, forsake those relationships and that power that they feel that they might have. And at the end of the day, that's what this is about, right? It's about power. Um, but the more of us who stand together, the more of us who speak out, the more of us who support each other, um, whether it's about sexism or sexual harassment or just being there for one another when we're um, when we're running for office or we're um, going for that C-suite position in business or whatever, whatever it is. Or when Julissa's promoting her book, you know, we should be in promoting this podcast. I mean, that's what we have to build this community because no one else is going to do it for us. Yeah. Yes, I love that. I yeah. love that. And that's what the inspiring part of this day and age is that we can, we can stand up for each other and there's more and more avenues to do it. But you're, it's probably, it's scary and it, and it, it takes courage. Of course it is. Yeah. One of the things you said, at the beginning of of, of this uh, segment was we have to get more women elected, right? We have to get more Latinas elected. And, and it's hard to get women elected. And I think sometimes it's even harder when, um, when, we, uh, when we tell women, uh, don't use the women card, mm-hmm. right? Don't, don't sort of pump up the fact that you're a woman, that mm-hmm. you're a woman or that you're Latina, um, and then the sort of question of like identity politics and how helpful they are versus like focusing on like economic issues, for example. But in, in your experience as someone who is a woman and who is Latina, who served two terms, um, how much of that sort of came into your into your campaign, into your um, policy views? How much of that being a woman and being Latina came into it? I never shied away from talking about who I was. Whether that was the challenges that I experienced as a young person, whether it was um, make the potential to make history as the first of something, or the experiences that I brought to the table as a woman and as a woman of color, I never shied away from those things because it's not we we tend to label we tend to uh, segment our conversations and and say well. If you're an economic populist, then you can't talk about identity politics or identity politics is important because you have to talk about you, who you are, et cetera. You can talk about all of that. Mm-hmm. But you just have to – and all of it matters right. because it's you, 
right? It's your experience as someone growing up in this country as an American and something else, an immigrant, a woman, a black person, a gay person, a Latina, whatever, right? It's all your experience. And that gets that is valid. That gets to be talked about and it should be talked about. And that's actually a strength. And so what I always did is I always presented myself as don't vote for me because I'm a Latina. Vote for me because I have experiences that need to be heard in the policy process that are probably just like your experiences too. And you don't have to be a Latina to experience some of the things that I've experienced. Your kids are struggling in our school districts just like I used to be. You're experiencing wage stagnation because you're a woman just the way that I am. You're experiencing mental health issues. You're experiencing lack of access to health care. You're experiencing all of these things, right? And you might be a black woman or you might be an old white man. But at the end of the day, I have these experiences that transcend all of that. And, And then to bring it back is still my experience as a woman of color in this country. Yeah. Right. And so so I mean, we just we have to get away from the labels and we have to and we have to get back to speaking to each other as human beings and speaking to each other as people who can relate to one another and speaking to each other about things that we have in common and highlighting why those different perspectives that we have on all of these issues that we share are really important to the policymaking process and they're really important to the national narrative and the conversations that we have amongst each other, right? And to me, that's that's what all of this boils down to. And I was able to be a successful Latina, um, daughter of immigrants, all of these things, all these labels that you want right. to ascribe to me, right? I was able to use that as a um, as a plus, if you will, you know, as this is what I what my experiences bring to the table, and this is why it's a good thing, um, and be successful. Because I wasn't asking you to vote for me as a Latina. I was asking you to vote for me as someone who cares about improving our community and improving this together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. Do you have any last questions before we transition to our super awesome final three? Uh, no, I mean, we've covered so much ground. And I really appreciate you being so, so honest and thoughtful and, and, and letting us in to your journey and letting us into your experiences. So thank you so much. Well, the, the more the more the others can join me, you know, uh, yes, yes. no one wants to run alone, you know. <laughs> well, I, when, when people ask me, you know, like, oh, when are you going to run for office? And I, ha- I have this idea that like when you're an elected official, like you can't have fun anymore because like, you know, you're like, it's like so much responsibility. And I'm like, I like having fun and I don't want to stop having fun. But like now seeing you, I'm like, you were like fun. Let's go grab a drink. Yeah, you can be fun. Yes. Can, yes. Yeah. We, we could definitely do another segment on, you know, the the um, the double and triple and whatever standards of being a Latina in politics. Yeah. yeah. There certainly are, you know, some a lot of sacrifices that you make as as a as an elected official and as a woman in politics, but um, that that's another segment. We'll have to come back. <laughs> yes, we'll have to have you come, definitely. But have yes, to have you, you can. I am here to say that you can be yourself and you can be authentic and you can be honest and you can be genuine, 
and still win your elections. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that's probably a strength. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we always... Missing think- off your leadership, that's another thing. But, you know, so. <laughs> Again, another segment. Another segment. <laughs> so much we can talk about. Segment for days. Right. Yes, yes. We can have a cheese hour. Oh, yes. oh, my gosh, no. So we always ask our guests, uh, what would be their telenovela name? Now, it could be your personal character in the telenovela or the telenovela of your life. What would Lucy Flores' telenovela be? My telenovela, um, I don't know. I feel, can I just like be someone else? Because oh, I right. would just be like Sor Juana de la Cruz. Oh my gosh, yes. I wanted to be her for Halloween and, and ha- the husband, Jeff, thought nobody would recognize that. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. They might just call you a nun. They might just call you a nun. I was afraid to say this, but I don't know who that is oh my gosh no Girl. <laughs> tell us let why. me wait chancla. i should get yeah, chancla you get the chancla today oh my gosh no <laughs> this would be a no as well moment <laughs> i'm gonna let you borrow my netflix password yes. okay wait i didn't say that out loud i didn't say that out loud <laughs> yes we'll, we'll, we'll fill you in we'll fill you in yeah please do that's but, very um, cool oh and Julissa's going to ask the next question. Well, this is a great transition um, to no post wow. So I've been using this hashtag. Clearly, I didn't invent it. But um, when something really, well, you just can't believe something is happening. It's like no post wow. Like, I can't believe this is happening, right? So what's a no post wow moment recently that you've experienced or something you've read or heard that made you go no post wow? Oh my gosh, are you serious? It's like every two minutes there's a no post wow moment. Like, my gosh. Um, oh my God, that is so hard. Um, I mean, I, it was probably had a no post wow minute like 20 minutes ago. So just coming at in Starbucks, here. Maybe. I know, at Starbucks. Seriously, there was. There was this rude person who called me the B word <gasps> at, at Starbucks. Starbucks. Oh. Yes. Yeah, literally. They needed be- their coffee more than you did. They, they did. I was like, and you know, I just turned to them and I said, because they were they were cutting in front of me in the line. And and so, you know, I like I didn't honk like angrily because I don't do that. Because also, you know, raid, road, road rage is a thing. So you have to be careful nowadays. Uh, but I, I just kind of like honked. I was like, hey, you know, like I'm in line. And literally the first thing was like, you stupid bee, you know, whatever. Oh like, gosh. I'm not even getting it. And just like went off on me. And I was just like, uh, okay, you know. <laughs> and I literally just turned to him and I was like, I was like, hey, listen, you have a really, really awesome weekend. And, you know, and, and I was just That's like, you know, and that. so that was, a, but it was literally at the Starbucks right before you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Love each other, people. Come on. Yes, you know? yes. We all like, need we, our caffeine. We can be better. <laughs> and then the last question, the one that we're, that Marindo's most known for is, who gets your chancla? Which is kind of similar to the no post. Well, maybe this person also gets your chancla. But you definitely got it. Yes. Yeah. And it was a guy, unfortunately, not to malign all men. Men, but come on, man! You gotta get your aggression under control. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Love uh, it. Another chancla, though. But besides Delissa, because I already gave hers. <laughs> I gave mine to hers for not. Yeah. So I didn't know I was gonna have any. I get like unlimited chanclas. I need unlimited chanclas. I didn't know. I would get one coming to a hostile environment. I'm getting chanclas. After we said we need to lift each other up. Right? Exactly. Chancla. It's you know what? It's also called tough love. Yeah. That's true, true, important. true. It's very important. Uh, let's see. Another chancla. I've already given out like four. Um, 
No, that's enough. That's, when, that's enough. enough. That's enough. This is super awesome. So, where's the best place for people to keep keep up with you? My social media on Twitter, I'm Lucy Flores, and Instagram, Snap, Facebook, I'm Lucy Flores. N is in Nancy, V is in Victor, Nevada. Lucy ah. Flores NV. Got it. The reason why I say it in that way, describing that way, is because one day I said, "Oh yeah, follow me at Lucy Flores NV." Oh, and they said, uh. like, <laughs> they looked at me all crazy, and I was like, "They're like, like envy and like, like I envy you." And I'm like, "Oh my god, no! What? No! I would never!" Like, That's no, envy is in Nevada. You know, hello, That's like so my funny. state. So now I have to be very clear that I actually thought it was like Flores. N as in Nancy, V as in Victor. <laughs> when you said MV, I thought like never mind. Like oh, Lucy Flores, never, never mind. mind. See what I'm saying? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. You gotta go to the CA. I need to <laughs> yeah. I didn't get on Instagram early enough to get my name. I got it on Twitter, but there is a Lucy Flores on Instagram, and one of these days I'm gonna have enough money to buy it from her. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming by. This is amazing. I'm, I'm sure you've inspired many, many listeners. And all of you listening, you all need to run for office or keep an eye out for Lucy. Or Flores. or support other women yes, running for office. Support or other get involved women. in your community, whatever it is. Mentor a young person. Yes. Yeah. Anyone yeah. you run into, tell them that they are capable of more. That right. changes as is demonstrated live sometimes very much and if you're leaving a vacancy bring a woman with there you go all right thank you so much absolutely lisa we did it we did it. Woo! Yes, you were a wonderful guest host. <laughs> Thank Amazing. You. Great interview. Great questions. So we come to the close of the show where we do our chancla. So who gets your chancla? My chancla goes to the Women's March. Ooh, the Women's because March. they invited Bernie Sanders, hey, a man, man, to headline the Women's March convention. Which seems to me a little bit backwards. That's a no pos wow as well. No yeah, pos no wow. pos wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I think they definitely deserved all the criticism, the wee wave of criticism that they got about that one. Yeah. Yes. And yes, sure, Bernie's popular and he's fun and all that. But but yeah, like that's definitely a big chancla to any and all women quote-unquote, events that don't lead with mostly women. Like, come on. Yes, yes, yes. I can think of a couple of (laughs) examples of that. Okay, well, my chancla goes to you, the listener. Yes. I know that you love the show. I know that you heard this amazing interview with Lucy Flores. You got to hear from Julissa Arce. It was amazing. But guess what you haven't done? You haven't written us a review. So take two minutes and write a review on iTunes. It's uh, actually it's not called Apple Podcast. Please write Tamarindo Podcast a review. And this also reminds me of a couple announcements that I should let you know about. Um, remember to save the date, November 19th, for Podcasterio Fest. Make sure you come to that. And also to go to Tropicalia Fest, that it's on November 11th. Go to tropicaliafest.com and come to Tropicalia Fest. Amazing music. We will be there, hang out there. We're, we're going to be there enjoying the show, and we'll be there at Podcast Fest. But again, 
write us a review. Otherwise, you get a chancla. And I didn't ask you about this, Julissa, but how would you like to sign off? Do you have like a, a message that you want to tell the listeners as your goodbye? Wait, can I have a matraca? Yes, you can. Okay. Do you want to be honest? I, I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to matraca myself. Yes, do it. Because Make it my book, My oh, Underground American yes. Dream, oh, just became yes. a Washington Post yes, bestseller. Yes. Hell yeah. By the way, there are very few uh, women of color who make these types of lists. So really the matraca actually should go to every single person who bought the book. That's amazing. Yes. Thank you so much yes, for the support. Yes. It means a lot. How many formerly undocumented women have made that list? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but that would be very uh, interesting. I'm sure it's a l- short list. Maybe it's you're the only. But I'm, I'm glad people are, are buying the book and... Um, sharing it with other with other folks and thank you so much for the amazing support that you've given me yay everybody yes big matraca uh, you got my chancla but you all get a matraca too for, for supporting Julissa Arce thank you so much and uh, as my sign off don't forget ponte un suéter Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI 220099. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.